0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 24th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things this week?
1: Very good. Thank you, Graham.
0: So um, I know we're through the round two deadlines, um, you know, all the big deadlines have passed, and we're heading into kind of interview season, but give us the lay of the land as to what's happening and what people can anticipate, you know, coming up here.
1: Sure. I mean, as you say, all, all the all the all the big schools round two deadlines have passed. Um, so we're starting now based on activity on live. We're seeing some of those schools start to release interview invites. Those schools that tend to trickle them out rather than release them all on one day. Um, we're seeing activity there. Several West Coast schools I noticed this week in the mix. Yale's in the mix and several other schools um, that do it that way. Those programs that release them all at once, um, that won't begin for another week or two. It's usually led by HBS and they will announce when that date will be. And I would anticipate it will be within that first week of February. Um, And then Wharton follows February 14th and so on and so forth. So, yeah, we're moving into the interview invite season and maybe in some cases the interview season for round two.
0: Yeah, and I know I can tell because some of the schools that have, you know, where they interview everyone and you just sign up, we've been starting to see some interview reports flowing in on the site. So yeah, it's we're obviously now into that part of this, um, the time of year. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. And I know, I can't remember, I mean, we should, yeah, you can ser- search and sort of sort live wire data if you're a regular user of the site. You can go in and, you know, sort and see like historically when all these invites come out. But yeah, I, I agree with you. HBS will announce any day now what the date's going to be. And it usually is the first one of all the big schools that release it once. So we'll stay tuned for that. Um, over on the website, Alex, we did what I think is the last real humans of MBA students for this year year, um, or this admissions season, I guess you'd say. And that is uh, USC Marshall. So we ran a piece, I think, profiling four or five of their current first year MBA students. And yeah, I love those pieces as we've done them over the course of the year. And it'll be there'll be a little bit of a lull. um, And then we're gonna, I believe, get into our Real Humans Alumni series, which typically runs in the late winter, spring, and focuses on, you know, recent graduates and what they're up to terms of jobs and, and stuff. So that'll be fun. Um, we also did uh, a piece about Emory on the website. They've got a new, um, some additional courses, I guess, that they're offering around DEI, as well as a concentration on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, as I said, the interview reports are flowing in on the site again. So that's kind of cool to see. Um, but yeah, lot, lots of good stuff. And it's uh, I'm in a particularly kind of wintry mood today because, I, as I told you, I'm, I'm actually in New York uh, this week and then going to be down with the rest of the clear admit team in Philly, uh, next week. So, and it's snowing in New York. So it's been kind of a fun, (laughs) fun little travel, um, you know, for me so far, at least.
1: (laughs) And, and how, how was the travel? How was the trip?
0: It was fine. You know, I think for people who are reticent about jumping on a plane or, you know, getting back into gear with COVID and all that, you know, it's, it's fine. I mean, I, you know, I guess the one thing I'll say is it's easy to social distance because most of these planes are pretty empty and airports are quiet. At least for international travel, that was the case for me. So, so far, so good. Um, And I think the Omicron wave in the U.S. is going to start to, you know, slow a bit. So I don't know what's going on in the U.K. Are you guys still, have you passed the peak with it or you're you're still in it?
1: Apparently, we've passed the peak and we're unraveling all of our restrictions in the next week or two. Oh, cool. I'm not sure if that's a deflection away from other troubles that the prime minister is currently (laughs) facing or what the plan is. but. Yeah, apparently we're, we're free and clear at this point, oh, which seem, seems a little puzzling to me.
0: Yeah, it's like fast moving, I guess. So, you know, but, um, but we digress. I guess the other thing I, I wanted to mention is that we're getting really close to those deferred admission or deferred enrollment events that we're going to do with some top business schools. So, if you happen to be one of our younger listeners, like a college student or a very recent grad who wants to do a deferred enrollment type MBA where you apply now and then wait um, to attend, uh, we're doing on Fe- February 2nd at noon Eastern, we're gonna sit down with admissions folks from Berkeley, Columbia, Chicago Booth, and Carnegie Mellon. And then a week later, we're gonna do it all again with Wharton, Yale, MIT Sloan, and Darden. Um, You can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash D-E-M-B-A 22. That's all lowercase. um, And it's the numbers too, too. Not uh, spelling them out or anything. Uh, Alex, the other thing is is that, you know, people can write to us, right? And we ask them to. We love it when our listeners um, send us a note or, you know, just update us on what's happened to them. And so they can write at info at clearedmit.com, Use the subject line tops, or just write like Graham, Alex, you know, with a <laughs> exclamation point, it'll find its way um, to us. But we did, Alex, I wanted to go to the mailbag here because we did get a letter. Actually, yesterday, um, from somebody, and and I'll just read a little bit of it because it was really touching and kind of interesting too. Um, This person writes, "Happy 2022, Alex and Graham. I was one of the non-traditional applicants featured in episode 205. Um, And if you may recall, Alex, that was an episode where we had two non-traditional candidates. But I think this one is the person who um, kind of went to college, but either um, dropped out or or just left for one reason or another, and then." When they went to go back and finish, they were just sort of put directly into a master's program, and so they're basically going to try to apply to business school without ever having earned an undergraduate degree, um, you know, technically. So, so that was an interesting candidate that we profiled back in episode 205. Um, and she writes, I just wanted to shoot a note to thank you for the feature. It was extremely helpful, more than I thought it would be, to hear the tone when being discussed and to get a better sense of some of the concerns plus the level they're at versus reading stuff, which can be either mistakenly minimized or overly stressed <laughs> stressed about. Um, and in brackets, she writes, "More, I'm more guilty of the latter. Um, and she said, I've also been one to minimize my own achievements and I tend to take positive responses online as people just being nice or polite, encouraging, but hearing the tone of positive feedback is underrated and it gave me the boost I needed in my final week of writing. There's a delay in expressing my gratitude, um, but I did hear the feature of the day it came out. And then she goes into some personal stuff about how, why she was on delay. It sounds like she got COVID and everything else, but um, in any event, really nice letter. And the person indicates that they've already received an INSEAD interview invitation last Friday, and they're waiting on the others with their fingers crossed. So really cool that you know the advice we give is, is you know, people are at least tuning in and taking it to heart.
1: No, that's fantastic. I think you actually almost read the whole thing, Greg. You said you're only going to I read the little I know, I got carried away. That, I know. <laughs> that was very, very cool. But I mean, that was really interesting. This, this, this um, note, note, of really the, the tone of voice, and I and I get that. How we talk about stuff sometimes is is as revealing as what we actually talk about. So I, I did. I thought that was pretty, pretty, pretty neat. The other thing that I would say is, um, it's great getting these emails, and and obviously it makes us feel good about what we do. Um, but also, if if somebody wanted to post something that's a bit more public, they could go to Livewire, select notes to all schools, and 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 put put a, a note in in there on Livewire. We would absolutely receive that, and then other folks would also see it too. So there, there, there is that other avenue.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Oftentimes, it's it's we it's very rarely used, but it, it, it certainly would be read and very much appreciated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I do I do think that is a really interesting point that she makes about how. You know, tone is so hard to read when you're getting a text message or an email or just, you know, looking at a forum online. So I think it is a really good point that there is a difference when you hear people discussing your file. And that's the whole reason we do this show as well, is just to like give people a kind of fly on the wall view of how a couple of admissions officers might pull apart a candidacy and and you know assess it so um but yeah so without further ado i think we should probably move into the wiretaps portion and start talking about our candidates for this week what do you think (laughs) let's kick on all right so this is wiretaps candidate number one so this is an early bird uh, apply wire entry that we received from a candidate who is targeting Berkeley, Cornell, uh, Tuck, Duke, Michigan, MIT Sloan, Kellogg, UCLA, and Yale. Um, they're not going to be applying until uh, next fall to start in 2023. And they would love to work in tech or maybe nonprofit social impact after business school. Um, companies that they listed out of the starting gate are Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft. They've been doing consulting work. Um, In terms of their pre-MBA career, they have a GMAT score of 710 and they have a 3.85 undergraduate GPA, uh, three years of work experience located in D.C., And they left us a a relatively long note with a lot of good detail. Um, They indicate they're a 26-year-old white female, went to a top 20 public undergrad, and they graduated with honors from the honors program within the college. Sounds like there was a lot of, um, it was an undergraduate business program as far as I understood it. Um, Tons of extracurriculars, even currently. And so, you know, and again, they wanted to detail and we'll talk more about it. But Alex, what's your sort of initial take when you see a candidate like this? Because, you know, she is asking us for feedback on school selection and whether, you know, that 710 GMAT and all, all these different questions she has. So do you want to walk us through?
1: Yeah, Graham, honestly, there's a lot to like here, um, I think, um, for, for several reasons. I mean, I like that 385 GPA, obviously. Um, that's, a, you know, a, a record of four years of academic Achievement, whilst also being super busy and engaged in extracurriculars, um, so so that already tells me a lot about this candidate. Um, in terms of their work experience, they've got they've got uh, I think they say three years, and they're going to have another year under their belt. They've had two promotions and expect a third promotion. They switched from Big Four um, to sort of tech consulting. At, at, I think federal government sort of tax consultant, something like that. But it seems like their work experience um, has has. You know, they're probably going to be able to show good impact, good growth and so forth, the sort of things that we look for um, and in candidates um, and, you know, continuing that sort of um, extracurricular involvement outside of work and so on and so forth. There's just a lot, a lot, a lot to like here and, and this candidate and the fact that they're sort of t- t- targeting to apply next year, they've got a lot of time in front of them to sort of make sure they optimise their candidacy. Um, the, the, one one of their areas of concern, as they um, articulated, is this seven ten on the GMAT. Which, again, frankly, Graham, I think it's ridiculous to stress about having a seven ten on the GMAT. But the reality is, if you're applying to top programs, that's going to be twenty points below the median of those top programs so is that a concern right I would say it's, it's potentially a bit of a concern I think it's it's nice that she can sort of counteract that with that 385 GPA um, I think that's very good the fact that she's taken the GMAT twice obviously prepped very well and got identical scores says to me that no matter what she decides to do, if she's retaking the GMAT, she's probably, for the effort she's going to need to put in, she's probably not going to materially change that score. I think the advice that you gave her on ApplyWire is outstanding and I've missed it. It's go ahead, <laughs> do MBA math or HBS core, show schools that you're really serious about showing that you're prepared and ready for business school this upcoming season and make sure you're targeting top programs because she has a nice spread of programs. She has a couple of M7s in the mix Um, but surely in round one she's got plenty of time to apply. In round one she can include three or four M7s, maybe one top 16 and then evaluate her performance after round one to adjust her strategy for round two. Um, But yeah, mostly, Graham, I think we've got a really strong candidate here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the issue with the 710, which I agree with you, like, you know, it used to be that, geez, anything north of 700, like puts you in play. I think the issue that she was like sort of harping on in particular was that, you know, she has a 54th percentile on the quantitative and a 94th on the verbal. So the quant is a little weaker. And, you know, she has this undergraduate business background, which, you know, then makes you sort of say, well, wow, why is she not doing well on the quant section of the GMAT? And some people just aren't great at these tests and that's totally acceptable.
1: Okay, can I interrupt you there on one little point there, Graham? Yeah, of course. That that 47 score on the GMAT used to be the benchmark right. for top <laughs> programs. If you got 47 or above, you were free and clear. Yeah. So what has happened over the, the last... The the next several years, I don't think everybody's necessarily gotten smarter. Um, <laughs> I don't think that four person that got the forty seven, you know, five or ten years ago would now struggle in in a in a top MBA program. I think there there the might be certain um, cultures that have sort of you know dominate the test now and and sort of have moved that that overall score up. But my point is, if if let's say she got a forty eight, I think that percentage percentile score jumps up significantly right it's it's just yeah that the, on that quant side the the, the 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 percentile shift does change significantly when you move from one point to the next but i still think 47 is a pretty
0: decent score yeah it is interesting how it's evolved over time and how it's almost like, you know, the, there are some markets, you know, we know India, China, there's some markets where people are acing the math section. And so they kind of blow the curve for everyone else. That was
1: the point I was trying to make, Graham. I, yeah. I didn't say it as, <laughs> as succinctly as you, blow the curve.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like at Wharton, we used to have, there would always be, you know, those, what did you call the sub-matriculants, the, the, the literally the college kids who would, there would be a handful of them in the classes at Wharton um, because they were doing a straight MBA from undergrad and they would always get perfect marks. And we would always be sort of like, uh, you know, especially if stuff was on a curve. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So I think if she were to take MBA math or HBS online core, just to show the schools that like, hey, she's getting ready for business school. And, you know, is I think that would probably do it. And I love everything else. I mean, great extracurriculars. Her current extracurriculars actually match up with some of her goals in terms of, you know, um, trying to use technology to help those in need. And so she has a lot of things going for her. And I think you're absolutely right. She doesn't, she has nine schools on the list. She probably only needs to apply to like four or five in round one. And I would go with a more top heavy list than what she currently has and see where the chips fall. And then like you said, readjust in round two, but I, you know, and she's applying through the Forte uh, Foundation, I guess. So she, you know, so that, that, that's fine. Um, And there's no, there's no negative to that at all. Um, But again, I would, I would encourage her to at least take a flyer on a couple other M7 schools, given all this, there's a to like as you would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So let's move on and talk about, I want to do, you know, obviously thanks to her for submitting all this great information. It makes it easier for us to kind of assess, um, but let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is a current applicant who applied in round two. They want to start school next fall and they applied to Michigan, NYU, Chicago Booth, Wharton and UVA Darden. They've been working in tech and they wanna work in investment banking after business school. They have um, what I would call a great big GMAT score of 770. Uh, they have a 3.26 GPA, a little below average there. And then they have about five years of work experience. And they indicate in the notes here, some some dialogue that we had with them, that they are, uh, in their eyes, an overrepresented majority. So um, I'm gonna guess maybe white male, we don't know for sure. They went to U-Michigan for undergrad, and they've been working as a tech consultant at a top tech company um, with some promotions. Um, and it's not really technical work so much as project management and project finance type work. Um, so that's that's kind of their profile. What do you make of this? And this person's already applied, but what do you think is going to happen with them? And, and, yeah, how would you sort of assess this candidacy?
1: Yeah, kudos for them for getting the Darden invite. Um, so they're obviously in the mix. Um, um, there, um, so
0: that 's oh right they got an interview at okay so they 've been invited to interview at darden already that 's good, yeah
1: yeah, yeah, so that 's one of the schools that we 've seen tr- um, release interviews um, quite early in this sort of round too yep. um, looking at the other schools on their list i wouldn 't expect them to have heard from many others like Booth and Wharton. we know that they um, they, they 've not released anything at this point, and so forth. You made a really good point again on apply wire. So I'm going to bounce the ball back to you, Graham. You were a little queasy about someone wanting to move straight from tech into investment banking. Do you want to sort of share a little bit about that? Um, concern.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is this, you know, luckily they provided some more color after this, but I basically said, yeah, it's kind of a leap to go from tech to investment banking, especially if your tech role has been like technical. (laughs) Um, But they then pointed out that some of their work is really project management and even project finance. So that's a bit more um, maybe in the ballpark. And I think as long as they're, they were able to explain this in their essays and stuff, I'm hoping that it's okay, you know? Um, but it is, you know, I mean, it's not a, it, it's not the most common sort of path. Again, they have a great GMAT score, presumably with that 770, they did really well on the quant. So, I mean, you know, hopefully they can demonstrate that they have the skill set to make it all work, but yeah, that was interesting. And then the other thing that we forgot, or I, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but they did indicate that, you know, we asked about extra curriculars and they just said that they're um, they're an amateur they were an amateur boxer and that they currently work on the side as a boxing trainer and a volunteer youth coach so I don't know how that factors in here as well but it's not a really common activity but what do you make of that as kind of their outside activity?
1: Got, got a pack of punch Graham, don't you think?
0: <laughs> yeah, are they gonna knock out the committee with this application? That's the question. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean I you know it is funny though because it's not a common Activity. I don't know of, when I think of business school, I don't think of there being, you know, boxing clubs or anything like that. I mean, maybe there are other, you know, there are probably some martial arts clubs and things. But, yeah, it's an unusual activity.
1: What I like about it is two, there are two things I like about it. One is it is unusual and that's going to catch the attention of of of, of the Abcon reader, I think you know, that's inevitably going to be the case. So, you know, in terms of your background, when you're applying to business schools, if there is something unusual about your interests and passions, and mine would be horses and horse racing and so on and so forth, Mm -hmm. then at some point, you're going to want to address it in your candidacy. Um, but, But what I really like about this is not just the fact that they're an amateur boxer, but they're a trainer and a youth coach, right? So, so yeah, you could go to boxing tournaments, you know, at the weekends and, and go fight, and that's very good. But, but they've taken it to another level, and they're impacting others by taking it to that other level. That's what's going to resonate yeah. with with the AdCom readers, I think. So, agreed. That's where. I say it packs a punch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now I don't know what I have wanted this person on my learning team at Wharton because we got into a lot of scuffles, you know, when late at night trying to get projects done. You know, <laughs> do you want? Uh, do you want somebody? I'm not stepping in the ring. <laughs>
1: but but you do want them to be your mate. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. So no, but in all seriousness, like I think this person, given what they said about their job, I think they can make the kind of eye banking goal. You know, happen. I mean, there you know, there are plenty of people go to business school to get into investment banking, Mm. and it's not, and they don't all come from that domain. So I think they can make that happen. I think the GMAT score is you know fantastic. The GPA leaves a little to be desired, but you know, they went to a good undergraduate program in New Michigan. I'm assuming that they had, you know, hopefully they, you know um, some quantitative courses and things. I mean, maybe it was undergraduate business school. I don't know. They didn't say, but, you know, again, there's a lot to like here. They have a unique outside activity, as you say, they've translated it to sort of community service in a sense, or helping out and, you know, helping to, um, you know, kind of volunteer and things. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to like. I mean, I'll be curious to see where the chips fall and where they get interviews and stuff.
1: I'll ask you another quick question. In terms of their school choice, anything missing on that list? I know they've applied in round two, so it's a bit of a mute point, but we might as well talk about their school selection.
0: Right. So so they want to do um, investment banking. And, you know, obviously you look at Stern, Chicago, Wharton, and you say, yeah, it makes sense. They also have Ross and Darden on the list, which, you know, certainly people do go into banking from those schools. Um, but there are a couple of schools that I think of that are not here. Um, one of them would be Cornell. Another would be Columbia. I don't know what's driving, you know, their decision decision-making there in terms of how they chose these programs. Is that where you were headed with this? Like, what do you think of their selection?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, again, and I think it's more so because they're moving into investment banking for the first time to really go go after a school that's going to train them and give them the opportunities to do that. It did strike me that Johnson and, and Columbia aren't on this list. But, but yeah, the... Clearly, this candidate's made some decisions and choices with this target list. There are some very good schools on this target list across the board, and some of those are well aligned with investment banking. But, yeah, I thought it was a bit um, odd that that Johnson at least wasn't there, Columbia um, and and so forth.
0: Yeah, and I don't know, maybe Columbia is more a question of... um, they're worried about having not been in the early decision round or something yeah. it's interesting yeah, um, hard to say yeah. but so, so some food for thought obviously as you said they've already applied so we'll see where where the chips fall um but but yeah best of luck to them and I appreciate them um chiming in I I do like it when people you know leave us comments and and shed more light on different areas that we're questioning about so I appreciated them taking the time to to write that stuff up um but yeah keep us posted in the notes there um very interesting to see what happens um but let's move on we have one more candidate So 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 this is going to be wiretaps candidate number three. So this is uh, in the tradition we've kind of recently established, a decision wire entry that we've received from a candidate who is undecided about where to attend. They applied to Harvard, MIT Sloan, Stanford, and Wharton. So pretty hardcore list of target schools there. And they wound up getting in to MIT with a $100,000 scholarship and to Wharton with a $10,000 scholarship. They were um, rejected at Harvard and Stanford. Um, They wanna work in consulting after business school and the companies that they're hoping to work for are Bain, BCG, or McKinsey. Their GMAT score was a 710 and the GPA 3.6. They mentioned that, you know, gosh, without the scholarship disparity, I would choose Wharton for the larger network and slightly more prestige. I'm not sure if Wharton is worth the extra money with the current price difference though. If i'm interested in doing consulting so yeah so what do you think of this there was a lot of back and forth and what's so cool about this is most of the back and forth and commenting on the site was from members of the community i know elliot chimed in from our team at the end but there was a lot of back and forth from just folks who are you know users of the site lending their their kind of opinion but what do you make of this you know wharton with 10k or or sloan with 100k yeah
1: it's very interesting i i'll take another track um meet at the very beginning though we, we discussed that first candidate, and the big question was, does she need to retake the GMAT at 7.10? Well, here's someone with a 7.10 that got a 100 grand scholarship at Sloan and a 10,000 scholarship at Wharton. So it does show that even the top schools where the median uh, GMAT is going to be about 7.30, they are looking seriously at candidates um, within that range. Yeah. And this is a 7.10 candidate. So hopefully that helps yeah. further mitigate that concern. Even though we would still recommend do MBA math or HBS core to sort of really um, round that up. Now, yeah, you know, what should they do? They want to do MBB consulting. If you go to the Decision Wire entry and you'll be able to link to it from, from from our page or whatever, you'll see that there's quite a lot of um, back and forth showing. That, regardless of whether you go to Wharton or Sloan, you'll have plenty of opportunity to to um, get access to MBB consulting. There are obviously no guarantees, but both schools are, are good, um, good, good sort of um, places to sort of optimise your opportunities for for, for for that. So, so that would then make you think, well, actually, probably Sloan's a better choice because it's ninety thousand cheaper and so forth. But the question that we We don't know, Graham, and you made this point before we came on air, is what is this person's long-term goal, and um, how is that best served by um, Sloan and Wharton? And I'll just add to that, Graham, and then I'll turn it over to you to sort of expand on that. Um, Whilst 90,000 is quite a large differential um, for incoming MBA students, when you're going on a career track MBB consulting, and that sort of longer term vision, and you discount that 90 grand over a good period of time, um, that's where you start to sort of see folks saying, you know what, maybe Wharton's as good as good an option, um, even without that extra money. So anyway, I'll turn it over to you, Graham.
0: Yeah, this is like a really interesting dilemma, because, you know, you don't often see this big of a disparity among schools that are Fairly close, and you know, you would argue that MIT is in that maybe next group right after Wharton or something, right? So it's it is a you know it's a decent sized gap. Um, a lot of people were quick to point out that the cost of living in Boston is far higher than the cost of living in Philadelphia, which I can definitely attest to that. Having lived in Philadelphia for many years in the past, um, Philadelphia is very oddly inexpensive. So they wanted the person to be aware of that, you know, that, that maybe it isn't 90 grand in the end in terms of the actual difference that, um, comes out to play here. But I guess the question is, is, you know, I you know I, I harped on this with you like you said before we came on on air but basically I want to know what does this person want to do and where in the long term because look if all they want to do is get a job at MBB then sure MIT and Wharton are both going to be able to position them to do that as would a number of other you know top MBA programs so I, I'm curious to know though like what are they hoping to do in the very long term and where. Um, and what's the footprint of the alumni network in those markets, industries, geographies, etc.? Because there are some differences. If you look at the scale and scope of the Wharton network, you know, I mean, I think Wharton now has more than 100,000 active alumni across the globe. Um, that figure is going to be a lot smaller for MIT Sloan because it's a smaller program. Um, and this isn't a knock on them. It's just a you know the numbers are the numbers. There's just a smaller school. Um, and and, you know, I, I think, yeah, it just really depends where they want to be and what they want to do. If they were saying that they absolutely want to work in private equity or venture capital down the road, or you know, then you know, start to see the networks um, diverge a little bit, right? So I, I don't know, that that was my thinking. And I, I also, I know that it's a big cash difference, but I always encourage people to really try to think long term here because frankly, when you go to MBB, you're going to make a lot of money. Um, you're going to be able to pay off your loans relatively quickly. Um, and in fact, you know, in the heyday, and maybe this heyday is coming back, given the jo- job market these days, a lot of these firms would like pay off your loans just to get you to come in and, and join them. You know, so it's, I, I wouldn't, I don't know, I, I yeah, I would encourage this person to give a lot of thought to this. And the other thing that we haven't really talked about is that and 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 it did come up in the notes here, but these are different programs in terms of the um, this the the sort of uh, I don't know, the, the campus vibe, the, you know, the, the size of the student body. Um, they're just not the same. They have different cultures um, and both are great, but they're just different. So I, I would encourage this candidate to attend any welcome events, you know, do the online stuff, go visit or what, whatever they need to do to get their head around, you know, what makes Wharton Wharton and MIT Sloan, MIT Sloan, because they're different programs. Um, so I would leave it at that. For me, this is not a slam dunk easy decision. It's It's a tough one. Let
1: me ask you a, a more personal question, Graeme. Okay. You you chose you you were admitted to Harvard and Wharton. Yeah. Um, and maybe some other schools I forget, but you chose to go to Wharton over Harvard for whatever reasons. So and I'm not so what not not concerned about those reasons. But did did it ever cross your mind during your experience at Wharton? What would life have been like if I went to Harvard? Like and and I ask this in the context of let's say choosing Sloan over Wharton. Many the majority of folks, if all things are equal, would would assume that Wharton is sort of at a higher tier, at a little bit of a higher level than Sloan. In your case, most people would have assumed that Harvard's in that little bit of a tier above Wharton. Right. So I just wonder did did you ever sort of have that thought? Well, I I just wonder if I made the right decision. What would it have been like if I'd have gone to Harvard?
0: Well, I mean, I never would be doing this podcast with you if I'd gone to Harvard. Right. I wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have ended up working in Wharton admissions and all. No, but I, no. To be frank, like I didn't think about it. You know, once I made my decision, and I think this is the nature of many, or at least it's sort of um, human nature, psychology. Like once I'd made my choice and started at Wharton. I just was convinced that I'd made the right choice. And I only saw the evidence to that fact as I traveled through the program. Like I didn't, I wasn't focused on Oh wow! What would it? Because I was having such a great time yeah. at Wharton and learning so much, and 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 I was, you know, I, again, there were a lot of factors. You know, I had a significant other who's, you know, um, ended up getting married to who, who, you know, was also going to school nearby. So I was really glad I made the decision to kind of stay and 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 be at Wharton and stuff. So, yeah, but I was. You know, I think people don't really look back that much on this stuff just because. These are all great schools. And this person, if they go to MIT, they're not gonna look back. I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is and they'll just make that decision. I would just encourage them to do the research and yeah, think about the long, long long-term plan. Like we don't even know if this is a US citizen. So it'd just be good to, yeah, think about the geography and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, very good, well said. But I do think it's a point worth addressing. It's like, if you do take the money and go to a a program that's slightly lower in terms of prestige and, and a tier, is there that sense that would I look back and regret that decision? In your case, absolutely not, right? Not that it was a money issue. I, I forget if, if there was any money involved. But but that fact that you, you took a choice that most people might not have taken, you don't regret because it was a right choice for you.
0: Yeah. And actually there was no money involved, at least not, I mean, I was admitted to other schools where there was money, but I, but you know, there was really, I mean, I had a tiny amount of scholarship dollars, but it wasn't much, um, for either of those programs. I don't, yeah. The one thing that did stick to me though, was that I, I was, um, at the time I've actually come more around to it now, but at the time I was a little nervous about learning everything via the case method. And so I I was just more in tune with the way that Wharton, um, you know, used a mix of case and lecture and team projects to deliver the curriculum. So that was a factor for me. And then also, I mean, people may know I was already living in Philadelphia. There were a lot of reasons. Um, and I, you know, I was a re-applicant and Wharton was super nice to me in terms of helping me to kind of reframe my candidacy and do better the next time around at all the schools I applied to. So I had a lot of reasons, but, um, but yeah, I just liked the breadth and the flexibility at Wharton too. And, um but again you know Wharton and Harvard are, are they're both great both pretty different too so you, again this is just the same thing this person needs to do is figure out where they fit and what, you know, what appeals to them. But again, I wouldn't, I, I don't know their personal financial situation, but you know, there, there are a lot of people that will line up to lend somebody money to go to a top business school like Wharton or, or Sloan with a lot of confidence that they'll easily be able to pay that money back after they start working at McKinsey or wherever. So, um, I would just, yeah, try to find the right fit. It is two years of your life and yeah, you got to find the right school.
1: Very good. Well said, Graham.
0: So, all right. Thanks for picking these out, Alex. Uh, we'll be back in one week's time with another edition of wiretaps and uh yeah we'll yeah have a good week and I'll, i'll see you uh for the next episode
1: very good stay safe everyone take care